Welcome to the Invictus Church Podcast. We're grateful that you've chosen to listen, and we want to invite you to join us each week as we upload new content. Our prayer each week is that those who listen in would not just be stirred or inspired, but also changed. Now, get ready for life change with this week's message from Invictus Church. You heard me say this last week, if you ever find the perfect church, don't join it, you'll mess it up. Uh, because there's people in every church, and we have a tendency as human beings to blow it. Anybody here ever blown it? Raise your hand. Come on, hands are up all over the place. We make mistakes. We we you know we do things wrong, and um, when we do that, we've got to understand what the cost is. This series is about us understanding that when we blow it, there are people who won't come to know Christ because of our blowing it. Um, and we've got to be very careful. Uh, when we look at the, the book of 1 Corinthians, the church at Corinth is a fantastic example of what not to be like. Uh, because the church at Corinth was really bridezilla in extreme. They had issues on top of issues on top of issues. And the apostle Paul wrote to address these issues. Uh, in fact, his, his book, 1 Corinthians, is a response to some questions that the the church at Corinth had. And so they would ask questions like, now what do we do about uh, meat that has been sacrificed to idols? To you and me, that may sound like an on-issue, but it was a big issue for them. We'll talk a little bit about it later on today. Uh, they asked questions, what about speaking in tongues? What about spiritual gifts? And the Apostle Paul would address those things in this book. And um, uh, what about uh, sexual immorality in the church? And the Apostle Paul would write about uh, those things. And there's just like this long list of things in the book of 1 Corinthians where the Apostle Paul starts a segment or a chapter by saying, and now about, or now referring to fill in the blank, whether it's speaking in tongues, sexual immorality in the church, and you name it, division in the church, and uh, arguments and fighting, and even about the Lord's Supper, and propriety in worship, and uh, all of these kinds of things. He talks about the resurrection, because the people in the church had lots of questions about stuff that they were disagreeing over. Have you ever gone to a church where there was a lot of disagreement and it made you pretty obviously sure that that might not be the church for you, right? Um, it is important that the church align and be on the same page and be moving forward in the same direction because when we aren't, it actually hurts the mission of the church. And the Apostle Paul addresses this kind of thing over and over and over through this book. Last week we talked about division in the church. And uh, today we're going to be talking about arrogance, about pride. Uh, this was one of those big things that the Apostle Paul addressed multiple times in the book. If we look here at 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 18 through 19, some of you have become arrogant, thinking, I will not visit you again. The Apostle Paul is saying, you're acting like I'm not going to come and knock some heads together. Well, guess what? I am. But I will come, and soon, if the Lord lets me, and then I'll find out whether these arrogant people just give pretentious speeches or speeches or whether they really have God's power. Now, the context of that particular verse, just so you understand, is that um, uh, the Apostle Paul was talking about people being arrogant or proud regarding divisions in the church. And we talked about divisions last week. One of the big ones was, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos. And then the really super pious people were like, well, we're better than all of you because we just follow Jesus. And, um, you know, don't you hate it when people act like that and that they get kind of 
in their little camps, and it actually causes all kinds of different issues and struggles in the church. And um, uh, so Paul is talking about this division stuff, and he's saying not only is the division a problem for you guys in Corinth, but you're proud about it. You're running around going, yeah, I am proud. I'm in the Paul camp, or I'm in the Apollos camp, or I'm in the, yeah, whatever. And Paul is saying, it doesn't matter what camp you are in. Don't be arrogant about it. Don't be proud about it. Don't flaunt it. The next one, 1 Corinthians 5, 2. You are so proud of yourselves, but you should be mourning in sorrow and shame. Now, the context of this particular verse, he's talking about sexual immorality. There was people in the church who were proud about their sexual immorality. There was a guy in the church who was um, sleeping with his stepmother. And he was running around the church saying, look at this, man, I'm so spiritual, and she's so spiritual, that here we are having this almost incestuous relationship, and it doesn't even phase us. We're so spiritual, we're so good. Now, is that twisted or what? And yet, we see that a lot in America today. And I'm going to say something that may be unpopular to you, but this is uh, the month of pride right, where they're waving rainbow flags everywhere, and there are some churches that wave those flags, and the Apostle Paul would have stern words for them, don't be arrogant about sexual immorality, any kind of sexual immorality. Don't be proud of your sin. You should be mourning in sorrow and in shame. He's referring to the people who were running around. There were a camp of people, a group of people in Corinth that believed, well, this guy who's sleeping with his stepmom is some kind of spiritual hero because here he can do this horrible, sinful thing, and yet it doesn't even phase him. He's forgiven, and he's good, and it's all, man, let's, let's, let's celebrate that. Really? It grieves the heart of God. 1 Corinthians 13 Verse 4, 1 Corinthians 13 is, is probably the most uh, famous chapter in the book. It's the love chapter. You've heard it in almost every wedding that you've been to. And the Apostle Paul says in verse 4, love is not jealous or boastful or proud. Now, the context of this verse, 1 Corinthians 13 is sandwiched right in between two chapters about spiritual gifts. Chapter 12 is about what various spiritual gifts look like. And then chapter 14 is about some of the spiritual gifts in the church that were getting abused. Specifically, he talks about prophecy and tongues in that chapter. And he's saying, those of you with prophecy and tongues are acting like you're super wonder spiritual people, and those who don't have those gifts are somehow lower than you or less than you in the church. You shouldn't be proud about this kind of stuff. You should be humble. And right in between those two chapters about spiritual gifts... That's the bread of the sandwich, if you will. What's the meat of the sandwich in the middle? Love. If you don't have love in whatever you do and in your gifts and in however you serve the Lord, if you don't have gracious, patient, long-suffering, forgiving love, you're nothing, he says. Love is the context. So next time you're at a wedding, that that passage it's beautiful and it's great at weddings and i read it at weddings but the historical context of that passage it has nothing to do with a wedding it has to do with the way we treat each other in the church regarding 
the use of our spiritual gifts. And we'll talk more about those things in coming weeks. But the Apostle Paul is saying in all of these verses here, don't be proud. In fact, we find five different times in the book of 1 Corinthians where the Apostle Paul uses this word proud, that we translate proud or arrogant. And um, we find this in his first in his letter uh, uh, addressing several issues, divisions, which we talked about, immorality, which we've talked about, spiritual gifts, which we've talked about. He also talks to the people in Corinth about don't be proud of your heretical theology. There were people in the church of Corinth that said there, there was no real physical resurrection of Jesus and there will be no physical resurrection of his followers. And the Apostle Paul is addressing that and saying, don't be proud of your foolish heresy. Without the resurrection, what we believe is absolutely useless and pointless. It's absolutely central to our faith. And he's addressing that. Then he also uh, addresses it in debatable matters of theology, which is kind of what we're going to camp out on today, specifically around the subject of idol meat. But five times... In 1 Corinthians, Paul uses the word that we translate proud or arrogance, uh, or arrogance, and it's the Greek word fousiao. Everybody say fousiao. And then pick up the balloon that you were handed when you came in. You were given one of these little tiny itty-bitty balloons. It's a water balloon. And uh, I want everybody to try and fousiao this balloon. Now, that'll make more sense to you in a minute. I'm guessing you probably know what it means. Blow it up, all right? Try to blow this thing up. Everybody ready? Here we go. It's hard, right? These little tiny balloons, those things are hard to blow up. Now, I became a youth pastor back in the 90s, and um, one of my favorite things was to blow up a water balloon with air and walk around with it and act like it had water in it. And then I'd walk up to some kid and go, whoa, and throw the, you know, and boom, somebody's popped. And it scared the junk out of the kids every time. They thought, oh, my goodness, I'm, I'm going to get hit by a water balloon. But it was just full of air. You know, I'm just kind of sick that way. I love to scare people and surprise them. And um, my, my poor wife, uh, anytime I'm hiding behind a door, I know I'm going to get punched. But it's so worth it. Um, and uh, uh, so anyway, I, I, I decided one day I am going to become good at blowing up wa water balloons with air because I want to be able to do this and surprise kids and spook them and that kind of thing and mess with them. And, you know, one of my favorite sayings is uh, it, it's fun to play mind games with the unarmed. And so, you know, you know, just kind of toy with people. And uh, uh, it's, uh, it, it, it's kind of silly, but uh, there is a point to this. The point to this is I became good at puffing this thing up, at blowing up this balloon. The, the word fusiao that we translate proud or arrogant is literally inflated, puffed up. Don't be puffed up. You know, isn't that what we do when we take a stand on something? Sometimes it's a good thing. Sometimes it can be a bad thing. We throw out our chest. We, we take a stand. And Paul is saying there are some things that you just, you shouldn't be doing that about because it's actually arrogant. It's proud. It's sometimes you might think that you're being godly. Look at me. I'm sleeping with my stepmom and it doesn't even phase me. I can still worship Jesus and speak in tongues. And, and he's like, oh man, don't be puffed up about that. Don't be puffed up about that. Fusiao. Don't be 
proud or arrogant. Now, the whole point about the whole balloon thing is I made a decision to become good at blowing up water balloons, so I can do it pretty much instantly. It's still hard. My face turns red, but some of you didn't even get yours blown up today because you've never practiced it. Well, that principle applies to pride. The more we practice it, the better we get at it. And the more blind we become to the fact that we really shouldn't be good at it. In this case, practice doesn't just make perfect. Sadly, with pride and arrogance, practice can make permanent. And if you've ever had people tell you, hey, you know what, you're being arrogant, that's a pretty big blow. If you ever have, have you ever had multiple people tell you you're arrogant? It's time to stop and think, well, maybe I'm arrogant. It's like if you've got a drinking problem and you've got three friends that say, listen, I think you have a drinking problem, you probably have a drinking problem. If you've had more than three people tell you you've got a pride problem, you've probably got a pride problem. You've probably had enough practice that you've made it permanent and you're not even aware. We've got to be aware of this kind of stuff. Now, the reason I share all of that with you is because I have to confess I'm one of those guys that for years was 95% right and 100% certain. Have you ever known anybody like that? They are right all the time, even when they're not. And I thought myself humble, but I had people over the years say, you know what, Alan, you're being arrogant on this. And after about the 10th time, because I'm a slow learner, I began to realize, Lord, maybe you're speaking to me, and I need to humble myself. And being humbled is painful. It hurts. But the Lord says that he will humble the proud. And I'm standing before you today to say I'm one of those. This message is important because it's not me preaching to you guys, it's me preaching to me. And to say, I don't want to be that puffed up pastor that sets the precedent that we should be puffed up people. Instead, I've taken a fall. Now I've been humbled. Am I perfect? No. Am I going to probably come across arrogant to some of you one day? Probably because I've got this tendency. But I'm here to say I'm aware of it. Are you? Are you aware of your own pride problem? Many times we're so blinded by our pride we don't even see it. And my prayer is that today's message will help each one of us leave today not saying, boy, that message was for so-and-so, but everybody leaving here today saying this message was for me. We get so good at arrogance and pride that it becomes normal. Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, where we're going to spend some time here in this context, 
Uh, Corinth was full of temples to pagan gods. Corinth was a pagan city. It was a uh, a Greek city, part of the Roman Empire, and um, there were people there that worshipped all kinds of different gods. Uh, And um, Paul went there, spent 18 months planting a church. Lots of people became Christians, and uh, the church at Corinth started to grow. And in the context of this growing church, we find this interesting scenario where basically all All of the meat, not all, but most of the meat that you could buy at the local marketplace was meat that had somehow at some time been sacrificed to a pagan god. And I mean, think about it from the butcher's perspective, right? Why tick off the gods? If I'm going to kill this goat and sell the meat, I'd... I probably ought to appease the gods. So they would sacrifice it to a god and then take it and sell it in the marketplace. And there were Christians in the church, uh, mostly it started with Jews um, who moved into that region. Jews were like, we are not going to touch anything that has been sacrificed to another God because we only worship the one true God. And if it's been sacrificed to another God, we're not going to touch it. We consider that to be uh, untouchable, unclean, awful. And um, that began to, that, that, that belief started to kind of settle in with some of the Christians. And even some of the Christians that were not Jews, they were like, yeah, well, I used to worship Apollo. And that was sacrificed to Apollo. I don't want to eat something sacrificed to Apollo. I only want to do things that bring honor and glory to Jesus. And so it's better if I don't eat that idol meat. And then there became this faction in the church that would say, if you eat idol meat, you're ungodly. If you eat this meat that's been sacrificed to an idol, there's something wrong with you. You're not honoring God. And they began to be puffed up, and arrogant. Now, let's just ask a few logical questions or make some logical uh, connections here. Is meat that has been sacrificed to anyone but the one true God, is it somehow blessed by that other God? No. Why? Because that God ain't real. Does meat sacrificed to Apollo somehow have a power from Apollo? No, because Apollo is bogus. He's made up. And so the apostle Paul starts to address this, and he says, listen, there are people in your church who are like, Apollo's nothing. I don't care. And why would I spend extra money for the stuff not sacrificed to idols when I could get the same meat at the bargain discount because it had been sacrificed to Apollo? That's good stewardship. And so they'd buy the stuff, and, and what would happen... As people at Corinth, they would get together for dinner, to eat together and spend time together, and they'd be eating and be, man, this is fantastic steak. Yeah, you know what? I got that on sale yesterday at the marketplace for half off because it was sacrificed to an idol. And then the person eating it's going, idol meat? Are you kidding me? But the guy who bought it was like, it's no big deal. I don't think it's a big deal. Now, this seems kind of weird to us because the context of it is so outside of our own experience. But a more uh, contemporary or relevant um, uh, uh, perspective of this might be alcohol. You go over to a friend's house after church, and they cook out, and they ask you what kind of beer you want. Or you start drinking the punch, and you go, oh, this is interesting. What's in it? Rum. 
Some people will spit it out and be like, oh man, no way, I'm never touching that stuff. It's ungodly to drink alcohol. And some people are like, it's no big deal. The Bible talks about alcohol a lot, and Jesus turned water into wine, and you know, as long as you don't abuse it, the Bible doesn't say it's a sin to drink. The Bible says it's a sin to get drunk, and so let's not get drunk, and I think we're okay. And it's a debatable matter of theology, right? There are Christians who think it's totally wrong for them to drink, and there are Christians who think it's totally acceptable to drink. And who's right? You know what the Apostle Paul would say? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You know why? Paul answers these questions in 1 Corinthians 8, 4 through 10. Let's read what he says here. So what about eating meat that has been offered to idols? There's one of those things where he's saying, now referring to or now about. So they've asked a question and he's answering it. Well, we all know that an idol is not really a god and there's only one god. There may be so-called gods, both in heaven and on earth, and some people actually worship many gods and many lords. But we know there is only one God, the Father, who created everything, and we live for him. And there is only one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom God made everything and through whom we have been given life. However, not all believers know this. Did you know that you can become a Christian without understanding everything about theology? Isn't that good? When I got saved, I didn't know one one thousandth of what I know now. And that's okay. The Lord doesn't take us as we ought to be. He takes us as we are. And so there were some Christians who now believed in Jesus, but they still thought there were other gods too. Apostle Paul is taking this moment to help educate those Christians. Guys, relax. There is no other God. It's only Jesus. But he's taking into account those who are weak. He says, however, not all believers know this. Some are accustomed to thinking of idols as being real. So when they eat food that has been offered to idols, they think of it as worship of real gods. And their weak consciences are violated. It's true that we can't win God's approval by what we eat. We don't lose anything if we don't eat it. And we don't gain anything if we do. But you must be careful so that your freedom does not cause others with a weaker conscience to stumble. For if uh, if others see you with your superior knowledge eating in the temple of an idol, won't they be encouraged to violate their conscience by eating food that has been offered to an idol? The Apostle Paul is talking to both Believers with more knowledge and understanding, stronger believers. Believers with less knowledge and understanding, weaker believers. And he's speaking to both sides of the issue here. He's saying to those of you with weaker knowledge, here's some knowledge for you. But those of you with greater knowledge, show mercy to those with weaker knowledge. Don't be a stumbling block for them. For Paul, there were three categories of behavior, and some of you might think this is controversial, but I believe this passage makes it absolutely clear. Three categories of behavior, right behavior, wrong behavior, and inconsequential behavior. He spoke of this regarding circumcision in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Some of you, you think you ought to be circumcised. That's good. Some of you think you shouldn't. That's good. 
It's all right, whatever. It's an inconsequential thing. It really doesn't matter. Being circumcised does not somehow make you more godly than somebody that's not circumcised. And he's saying here, this idol meat thing, it's an inconsequential matter. Satan likes to take this reality, this tripart morality, and pervert it. It's, it's the way the world is. Like, some of you are vegans. And you would be like, there is no way I'm ever touching cheese or eggs or meat or anything that comes from an animal. I believe it's wrong. And some of you are like me. And the keto diet is your best friend. You're like, meat and cheese and eggs? That's pretty much all I eat. And the Apostle Paul would say, you know what? Those things are inconsequential. Now, if you're going to have the vegan over for dinner, don't serve them a porterhouse. Don't be a jerk to them. Make a salad. Care for that brother. Don't cause issues over non-issues. And so Satan takes this tripart morality and he perverts it. Here's what he does. First thing he does is he perverts it by telling us inconsequential behaviors are black and white. They are absolutely right or wrong. No Christian should ever drink alcohol, period. That's what Satan wants people to believe so they become self-righteous about alcohol. Christians should always vote Republican. Everyone should wear their best suit to church on Sundays. Nobody should wear a suit on church on Sundays. You wear a suit to church, you're just a stuck-up jerk. And people that uh, think you have to wear a suit think everybody else is a slob and doesn't honor God. Are either of those behaviors or attitudes godly? Come on. We're buying into Satan's lies. Everyone has to raise their hands in worship. Or no one has to raise their hands in worship. You ever been to either one of those kinds of churches? Where it's like you go in and you feel this peer pressure one way or the other. I love to tell people this. If everybody's raising their hands, it might not be authentic. And if nobody's raising their hands, it might not be authentic. There are some people that love to do this and other people that are like, it's weird. And that's okay. We're not going to make a national issue out of it. But Satan wants us to take these things that are inconsequential and turn them into national issues. He also perverts this tripart morality by telling us that right or wrong behaviors, black and white behaviors, are gray. Those things are inconsequential. Like, it's totally okay for you to sleep with your stepmom, dude. Ew. That's an extreme example, and I'm glad it's in the Bible because none of us, I don't think anybody here would say, yeah, that's, that's a good example of behavior. Anybody here think that? I'm going to pray for you if you raise your hand right now. <laughs> I mean, it's just weird and icky, but we live in a society that is like, you know what? It's totally okay for you to live together before you get married. You got to test drive the Cadillac before taking it home. And I'm not condemning anybody that does that. That's between you and God. But you've got to understand what God's word says. It's very clear. Sex has been created by God 
for marriage only. Now, for anybody that says, gosh, that's narrow-minded of God, I'm just glad God gave us a place to have sex. It would be really narrow-minded of him to say, hey, you know what, I gave you that equipment, and it's a lot of fun, and you can't do it at all. But he gave us this opportunity to do this in marriage because it's wonderful. The unity, the power that it brings in a marital relationship, it is phenomenal. It's the way God intended it. And people who are like, well, I just totally disagree with you on that. I'm like, think about it. If human beings could only obey this one commandment about not committing adultery, if we, if we broke every other commandment in creation and only obeyed being faithful to have sex only in marriage, what would the world look like? There would be no unwanted pregnancies. This abortion debate would be virtually gone. There would be no more going and hooking up with somebody at a party one night and then feeling guilty the next day. Think about how dramatically that would change our world and how much better our own lives would be if we just obeyed that one thing. Now, we're not very good at obeying it. But that doesn't mean that it's okay to disobey it. The devil wants us to believe that the real things that matter, the consequential things are inconsequential. And he wants us to think that the inconsequential things are consequential. You know who got hung up on the inconsequential stuff? They had a lot of conversations with Jesus. It was the Pharisees. And they would come to him and they would corner him and try to trap him. And those were the people he always got the most pressure from, the pushback from, and they were the people that he said, I'm not playing your game. Here's what Pharisees would get hung up over. They asked him the question uh, about, uh, you know, if somebody asks you to carry their pack, should you take it the full mile? And Jesus says, yeah, and you should, you should go an extra mile. Now, what does that story have to do with anything? The context is this. Roman soldiers, there was this, this law in the Roman Empire that any Roman soldier could grab a kid off the street and say, I'm leaving town, and you've got to carry my pack for one mile. And the kid had to do it. There was no, but I have a math test, or dad's expecting me to come home and milk the ox, you know, nothing like that. He'd be like, carry the pack, and the kid had to do it. <laughs> And the Pharisees were like, should we have to do that? Does it really honor God if we do that? This inconsequential thing. And the assumption that they were making is, no, you should not do it. You should disobey it because to serve Rome was to serve the Roman emperor who considered himself a god. And you're not to serve false gods. You're supposed to serve the Lord God only. And so don't do it. It was one of those entrapment kind of questions that the Pharisees loved to ask. We're going to trap Jesus and trick him. And Jesus says, no, you want to do the good thing? You carry the pack two miles. The Pharisees made inconsequential things their banner issues. And that kind of spiritual arrogance leads to 
one of three things, maybe all three things. If you're taking notes, write these down. Spiritual arrogance leads us to bad theology, it leads us to legalism, and it leads us to immorality. The Corinthians all had this. They had loads of bad theology. We'll be talking about that more in um, other, uh, other weeks, but we're even talking about it today. Some of the Corinthians had the bad theology of thinking all the other gods are real gods. Paul made a correction here. We're going to talk in, in one week about the, the resurrection. That there is no physical resurrection, some of the Corinthians said. The Apostle Paul's like, no, we're going to fix that broken theology. Legalism. There were some that were like, you should not eat idol meat. They were legalistic about it. Apostle Paul is saying, no, don't do that. Spiritual arrogance leads us to that. And then spiritual or physical, any kind of immorality. They saw that in the church. Hey, look, I can do whatever I want to with my body, and it's inconsequential. And the Apostle Paul is like, no, it is consequential. There are right things, there are wrong things, and there are inconsequential things, and we need to know the difference. There's a couple of formulas that I want you to write down. When you become an arrogant Christian, here's what it looks like. And I'm telling you this because I know it firsthand. I have been this guy. Write this down. When I maximize my welfare and scrutinize their behavior, I'm an arrogant Christian. When I start thinking about stuff and I thinking, then I start thinking about what makes me happy, what makes me comfortable, and those people are doing things that made me unhappy or uncomfortable, so they're bad. I've been that way. I've been that guy. And I tricked myself into thinking it was godliness. saying their behavior is somehow less right. I don't want to turn this thing around. What happens when we flip it around and strive to be humble Christians? We maximize their welfare and scrutinize our own behavior. That's when we become humble. What does that mean? I need to love others more than I love myself. And I need to stop worrying about everybody else's morality. And I need to worry about mine. What's in my heart that's dark? It's so easy to walk around and point the finger at other people's junk. It's hard to get honest with ourselves and with God and say, Lord, what if I just spent my life focusing on me becoming godlier? Let me ask you a question. Does the Holy Spirit know how to do his job? Then let's not help him. It's not our job to be Holy Spirit Junior and to act like we're, we got to figure it out and everybody else doesn't. He's God. 
He knows what he's doing. You got a friend in this church who's doing something immoral? Love him. Forgive him. Show him grace. And let God deal with him. Now there are some extreme cases where we're going to find later that the Apostle Paul says we ought to intervene. We shouldn't just sit back and let a friend destroy themselves spiritually, physically, emotionally. When there's sin in their lives, we do have a responsibility to tell each other about it and to call sin, sin. But our primary responsibility as Christians is to deal with our own sin, not everybody else's. You see, we become spiritually arrogant. We become like the Pharisees when we're worried more of the time or even when we come across as more of the time worried about other people's sins than we are even our own. That's a dangerous place to be. It's a destructive place to be. Let's read 1 Corinthians 10, 23 through 11, 1. You say, I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. You say, I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is beneficial. Don't be concerned for your own good, but for the good of others. So you may eat meat that is sold to marketplace without raising questions of conscience, for the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. If someone who isn't a believer asks you home for dinner, accept the invitation if you want to. Eat whatever's offered to you without raising questions of conscience. But suppose somebody tells you, this meat was offered to an idol. Don't eat it for consideration of the conscience of the one who told you. I mean, imagine yourself, you're at the party, you're hanging out, and it, it's an unbeliever's house. It's going to be idol meat, probably, and you're about to eat this wonderful shish kebab, and... Uh, the guy next to you who goes to your church says, dude, that's sacrifice to an idol. For that guy's sake, don't eat the meat. Because it might make him stumble. Think about the other first. It might be a matter of conscience, might not be a matter of conscience to you, but it is for the other person. For why should my freedom be limited by what else somebody else thinks, the Apostle Paul says. If I can thank God for food and enjoy it, why should I be condemned for eating it? Right here, he's saying, I need to scrutinize my behavior. So whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Don't give offense to Jews or Gentiles or the church of God. I, too, try to please everyone in everything I do. I don't just do what's best for me. I do what's best for others so that many may be saved and you should imitate me, he says, as I imitate Christ. Now, to put this in context, the Apostle Paul says in the book of Philippians, I have become all things to all men, so that by all means some will come to know Jesus. That means Paul is saying, if eating idol meat is going to help me reach somebody who's an idol worshiper, I'm going to eat the meat. If it's going to cause them to stumble, I'm not going to do it. What's the end goal? So that many may be saved. What we have to understand about Bridezilla is that when unbelievers come and are turned off by what we do, we've just caused somebody eternity. Eternity. 
What we do matters. How we do it matters. Our attitude behind it matters. Let's humble ourselves and strive to be a church. Always. That learns from this Corinthian example. Says we'll do whatever it takes. Anything short of sin to see people come to know Christ. But we're not going to have divisions over what color the curtains are going to be or the carpet's going to be or whether or not communion ought to be real wine or grape juice. Whether it ought to be once a month or every week. See, those things, when we fight about that stuff, and I'm not saying we as a church are fighting about that stuff. Don't hear me say that. I'm saying when we as Christians get into those little pockets, it scares unbelievers away. And for the Apostle Paul, that's a banner issue. For us, that should be our banner issue. Let's pray. Thanks again for listening to the Invictus Church Podcast. Be sure to tune in every week for more new content. We'd like to invite you to join us in person for our weekend worship services. To get more information about our meeting times and location, please visit us online at www.invictus.church. If this or any of our episodes have inspired you to take steps in your relationship with Jesus, please let us know by sending us a note at info at invictus.church. We would love to hear how our message has helped change your life. Also, if our podcast has been meaningful for you and you'd like to give financially to our ministry, you can easily make your contribution online at www.invictus.church. Thanks one more time for listening. We hope you'll join us again next week.